Gospel of Mark this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. These guys are going to get you a Bible this morning. If you remember with me, we are doing a five-part study on discipleship that Jesus is taking his disciples through this intensive course as they're on the way to Jerusalem. The first week we looked at how we, we begin as disciples. Remember, there's four things that need to happen that Jesus showed the disciples in order to start your journey in walking with Jesus and becoming his disciple. Does anybody remember what those were? You guys remember last week? Denial? No. Confess, <laughs> believe, submit, and reveal. We confess the Lord is our, is our Savior, we believe it, we submit to Him, and in doing that, He reveals Himself to us. Last week, we saw the enemy come in in opposition. The disciples were following Jesus. They did those four things. Jesus reveals Himself to some of them on the mountain. Then the enemy shows up, and as they're coming down from the mountaintop experience of Jesus revealing Himself to the, some of the disciples, we see that the enemies down below in the scribes, in the demon possession, and in doubt in those three things last week. So those are some things that we would come against. There's some opposition that the enemy wants to slow down the progress the disciples are making. And then lastly, well, today we're going to see instruction. Jesus is going to give his disciples instruction today. Specifically, he's going to teach them seven different things. I know you guys like three-part sermons. I'm sorry. This morning, there's seven points. All you got to do is jot them down. They're pretty simple. But they're very, very intensive. Jesus wants to put these seven things together and teach them something that they need to realize and understand if they're going to continue to be his disciples. These seven things are what disciples look like who are following Jesus. That's what we're going to look at today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us instruction. We want to know what to do. We want to know how to follow you. We want to know how to be disciples, your disciples that are called according to your name. We don't want to just be churchgoers. We don't want to just be believers. We want to be disciples, like your word says. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we submit our hearts to you today. We ask that you would teach us. Please clear our minds, Lord. Give us clarity of thought. And sow your word in our hearts to produce fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. So as they're continuing on their way to Jerusalem... We're going to back up a few verses. We covered Jesus' prediction of his death, but we're going to back up, read through it again as we go back into uh, the end of chapter 9, verse 30. Then they, departed, then they departed from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. This is the second time Jesus predicts his upcoming death. The disciples don't understand what's happening. They don't understand why he's saying these things. The last time we see Jesus tells of how he's going to die, 
And, and the response was, Peter rebukes him. And Jesus said, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. This is the same thing that we see in the second prediction that he says that he's going to die. We see Jesus is focused on the will of the Father. We see Jesus is focused on being selfless. And the story right after he gives this prediction shows where the hearts of the disciples are in the midst of this time. Verse 33. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Jesus is expressing the, the magnitude that he's willing to go to be obedient to the Father. He says, I'm going to lay my life down. They didn't understand it. And then on the way from that, walking down the road, they're talking about who's going to be the greatest. Jesus is going to be the least. In fact, when we read that verse, it says, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Who is number one? Jesus Christ. He submitted himself to the lowest lowest servant of all and that was the expression of selflessness that was the expression of what a true disciple looks like we'll never get to that point as believers we'll never get to that point as disciples of being greater than jesus and serving in a greater capacity than he served us when he didn't have to Point number one, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to be a servant. You have to serve others. You have to love others. And Jesus is saying, this is what it's going to look like. If you want to be great, you have to give up yourself. You have to focus on serving others. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And I love I loved this little part. You know why? Because Jesus loved the kids. There's two things that happen here, right? He says, he took the child and set them in the midst. Set him in the midst. So everybody saw there's this child. And then after, he, he made sure everybody saw that this child was in their midst. Then it says, when he had taken him up in his arms, he's holding this child. Now, for us and many other cultures and societies in the world, you know, kids are the focus. And it's all about your, your kids and how much you love them. You know, when we lived overseas, these kids would, would you know, one of these, these kids would throw a fit, a temper tantrum in, in the bakas the grandmas and the, and the parents they would always keep a little candy on them all the time and instead of saying hey you stop crying right now or you stop throwing a fit they would bribe them hey be quiet i'll give you a piece of candy <laughs> it doesn't always work actually it does. they stop and take the candy and they start screaming again that didn't work but in this culture in jesus society children were not highly esteemed they were not looked upon they, they were they were underlings they didn't contribute to society or culture 
So somebody wouldn't necessarily give their time or energy or effort to serve children because they were kids. They were nobody. But Jesus flips this. He takes it and says, anyone who receives one of these little children in my name received me. And they don't just receive me. They receive him who sent me. Jesus is saying to be a servant to all means that you don't just serve the people that you want to serve, but you serve everybody. You serve people that have no status whatsoever in your eyes, no status whatsoever in your sights. He's setting a precedent for them. Number two, point number two, a disciple of Jesus Christ receives anyone, receives anyone. You don't get to pick and choose who you want to serve and bless and care for. Whoever God brings into your life and instructs you, hey, this is the person I want you to love, you've got to pour into them. That's, that's what being a disciple is. Look around at our church, the Lord's church. There's all kinds of people here this morning. This is the way the body of Christ is supposed to be. Young, old, rich, poor. By the way, can I hang out with you rich guys a little bit? I'm not a respecter of persons. We serve anybody, everybody. And for the disciples, this was a very clear object lesson. Jesus takes this child up in his arms and he says, this is what you have to be willing to do. You have to be willing to receive anybody. A disciple of Jesus Christ is a servant to all, number one. Number two, a disciple of Jesus receives anyone. How do you think the disciples responded to Jesus saying, that they had to receive anyone or receive the children. Let's look at verse 38. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. Talk about a diversion. (laughs) We're, We're not talking about anybody else. John, hold on. Are you uncomfortable with what I'm saying right now? He, he redirects to something that he saw. There was somebody who wasn't with us. You know, sometimes in the church, I think what happens is people, we, we can, it's possible, we can get this kind of elitist mentality. Like, we're the only ones doing things right, you know? We start to look down on the world because they're, you know, sinners and, and heathens and stupid and they don't know anything. And we start to think we have all the answers and we're the only ones that are right. You know what? It's not true. We are not the only ones that have it right. There's many other churches, many other brothers and sisters who just because they're not associated or connected to us doesn't mean that they're not being used by God in a powerful way. But Jesus said, do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Man, sometimes we just need to hear that, huh? Jesus says, if they're not against you, then what's the problem? They didn't offend me. Why are you offended? As disciples of Jesus Christ, point number three, we do not have the liberty to be elitist or exclusive. Now, as much as I I want to take you guys and buy 100 acres in southern Utah and make this little clan, you know, like, we'll all move up there. We'll have designated marriages, you know. Sounds kind of weird, huh? 
Why do you think that those cults and those sects that do that, why do you think they get so off base and, and crazy? Because they're not real disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. They're exclusive to themselves. They think they're the only ones that have the truth. And everybody else is going to die and go to hell. It's not true. A disciple of Jesus Christ is a servant to all, receives anyone, is not elitist or exclusive. Number four, willing to receive from others. You know, it's very indicative of, of your disposition if you're not willing to receive things from certain people. I used to be like this. I used to be like, no, I don't want your help. I can take care of myself. I'm better than you. I don't need you. And then the Lord taught me, like, you know what, Tim, if I want to provide for you and take care of you in different ways, I can do that however I want. You're not in charge of telling me how I can provide for you. And this is interesting. Jesus uses this example. He says, don't forbid them. By the way, if they have something to offer you, receive it. Because if you don't receive it, they are still going to get the reward. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says their intentions are right. They're doing the right thing. You're not receiving a cup of cold water. That's enjoyable, right? You're not receiving a cup of cold water. But listen, since if, if, even if you don't, they're not going to lose their reward for trying to serve you, for trying to help you. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Number four, willing to receive. Verse 42, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Man, Jesus... <laughs> Remember who he's talking to now. These are the kind of words that we would like to direct to non-believers. <laughs> you're going to hell. God hates these people. He hates these people. We're going to heaven. You're going to hell. That's, you know, that, that, but, but he's not talking to non-believers, is he? He's talking to people who want to be identified as his disciples. And he's showing the importance of what it looks like to be a disciple Listen, if you want to be a disciple, do not stumble other people. Point number five, don't cause others to stumble. As a believer, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I need to make sure that my life looks like Jesus' life. And the things that I do, I need to make sure that I'm above reproach so that people don't stumble or I teach people stuff that is false and not the truth. Because I'm going to be held to a greater standard when we all go stand before the Lord. Because I'm standing up here talking to you guys, telling you what truth is. And there's a lot of people that stand up here and say stuff that's not true. And many times, it stumbles people. It, it wrecks them. It ruins their faith. It causes them to sin. 
And Jesus wants it to be very clear that he does not want that to happen. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That's very descriptive, Jesus. You guys get mad at me because sometimes I'm too, uh, you know, descriptive. But Jesus was even more descriptive than I am. See? Could you guys imagine that? You know how big a millstone is? It's how they would process some of their, their foods, grains and wheats. Tie, tie a millstone around somebody's neck and throw them into the sea has got to be you know, pretty pretty terrible way to die. And Jesus is saying, listen, do not cause one of these little ones to sin. Jesus is not necessarily talking about the children. He's talking about little ones, little disciples, other disciples, people who are also following Jesus. Causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. That word for ca- uh, causes to stumble is, is the same word we get scandal from. Scandalize in the Greek. Interesting. And then the three things that he lists. He says, your hand, your foot, and your eye. The next point, point number six, is uh, for the disciples how to deal with the flesh. You noticed... That if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you should be crucifying the flesh, right? There shouldn't be any living in the flesh. But whenever we as disciples of Jesus Christ, when we start to live in the flesh, what happens? It stumbles others. When I say I have liberties in the flesh that I don't have, I shouldn't have as a disciple, it causes others to think that maybe they can have those liberties too. It's it's stumbling, what is what does the hand speak of? The hand speaks of the things that you put your hand to. Are you putting your hand to things that are causing you to stumble and could cause others to stumble? If you are, cut it off. What does the foot speak of? Where are you going? Where are you going? Are you going places that you know you shouldn't go to? And by going to those places, you're causing yourself to stumble, which means that you're ultimately going to cause other people to stumble as well. What does the eye speak of? The things that you're looking at. Oh, conviction sandwich. I'm not doing anything bad with my hands. I'm not going anywhere bad, but you know what? Those dumb eyeballs always messing, messing with my head, messing me up. We all know that Jesus is not speaking literally of cutting your hand, your foot, or your eye out. Do you know why we know that? Because it was against the Old Testament law to, to mutilate yourself like that. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus is saying, do whatever it takes. The extreme situation, do whatever it takes so that your foot doesn't take you to that place. If you have a history of being an alcoholic, do not go hang out in bars. It's not a good idea. If you're used to doing something with your hands, don't give your hands the opportunity to do that thing. If your eyes like to look at certain things, don't give your eyes opportunity to look at those things extreme, whatever it takes. Do you know also why I know that it's not true that he was, he was not speaking literally? Because I wouldn't be here. I'd be like, my hands would be gone, my feet would be gone, I wouldn't have any eyes, and I'd be begging people to stab me in the head. Please, I can't even do it. My brain won't stop, it just keeps going. The sin is inside. The sin is here, that's the issue. 
But when we address that, however it needs to be addressed, cut it off so that you stop doing it. We have, we have internet nowadays. It's crazy the things that you can do on the internet. If the internet is causing you to sin, I know that this is going to hurt you guys. Probably hurt more than cutting your own hand off. Cut the internet off. Pull the plug. Turn the TV off. Cut it. So that you don't put yourself in a position where you're being stumbled which ultimately, if you continue in the flesh in that regard, you're going to cause somebody else to stumble, and you're going to ha- you're going to have to be held accountable for it. I don't I don't want you know I don't want people to be stumbled by the things that I do or say. I don't want people to be in a position where they're questioning their faith because I'm living in the flesh. That's terrible. Let's look and look at them again. Number one. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? Servant of all. Number two, receives anyone. Number three, not elitist or exclusive. Number four, willing to receive from others. Number five, don't cause others to stumble. Number six, how to deal with the flesh. And then we'll see this last one, verse 49. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. This last lesson that Jesus gives them is is kind of instruction connected with a warning. That something's going to be coming up. The fire doesn't speak of judgment or condemnation in this context. The fire represents the trials that all disciples of Jesus Christ are going to go through. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial that you're going against right now. It's to prove you. It's to prove the genuineness of your faith. And if we identify ourselves as disciples of Jesus Christ, then those things are going to happen. They're going to happen. Salt is, a, is an, another thing that, that preserves, right? It's a preservative. We, as disciples of Jesus Christ, are salt in the world. We are the thing that, that stops the world from going rotten. That's what salt did in the old days. It was a preservative to preserve foods. We have to have that salt. We're not supposed to look like the rest of the world looks. How are we seasoned? Do we have the seasoning of God or do we have the seasoning of this world? Are we surprised when we go through fiery trials? Do we have that salt in ourselves so that we can have peace with one another? The peace that God is talking about here is the peace that he wants everybody to have. We're not talking about those things that cause division. What do we look like as disciples? I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to follow him. And even though sometimes we look at these things, you know, this is very, very somber, it's very important, very intentional of Jesus to bring them through these things. He wants it to be clear to them. You guys are following me. This is what it's going to look like. 
The first message was the four steps of becoming a disciple. The second message was that there's going to be opposition as a believer. Just know that, you guys. Know that you are going to come against opposition. And then the third, Jesus wants us to know what disciples of him truly look like. Disciples are servants. Disciples receive anyone. Are you receiving anyone? Do you get tired of people and not want to be around certain people? This is a greater opportunity for you to love them. It's a greater opportunity for you to die to yourself. Not elitist or exclusive. Willing to receive. We don't want to cause other people to stumble. We need to know how to deal with the flesh. And there's going to come testing. There's going to come proving. So know it. The Lord warned us about it. This is what we can look like as his disciples. And he, he wants us to. As we submit our hearts to him and we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you make things so clear to us, too, in your word. We thank you, God, that, that you love us so passionately, that you show us how much you love us. You love us so passionately, but you also give us very clear warnings about what your expectations are for us as disciples. God, we want to fulfill those expectations. We don't want to just look like people who just go to church or people who are a part of a church or people who are part of a religious institution. We want people to look at our lives, your church, this church, Lord. We want people to look at our lives and look at our church and, and recognize that those are true disciples of Jesus. God, you're so good to us. We're so grateful that you've called us with a holy calling, that you've equipped us. And the things that you're doing in our church in this season, we're so blessed, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.